And if you want to hire an experienced like person who's typically in your office, like an HQ type person, your your options really are to to trawl through your network or to go to a recruiter. And we know that the service and the offering there is 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 just substandard and and not it's not necessarily even just substandard because it can be good pockets of it can be good, but it's just not efficient for the digital age. Everything's done on the telephone. Everything's like very archaic. And it just feels like I can buy clothes online. I can buy, you know, I can do so many things. I can even now sign legal documents online. Why can't I hire a great person online as well? Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way, to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm speaking to Romany Thomas, and Romany has built a new recruitment platform, Juggle Jobs. They've been at it since 2017, pre-COVID. It's how do scaling businesses attract the right level of skill and experience without going full-time? So the platform is for one of the job roles we talk about, say CFO, you know, so you're a startup or you're a scale-up business and you need... You need somebody to to roll their sleeves up and do the management accounts and also be able to offer the strategic advice around fundraising and maybe R&D tax credits. And so you could either go lower experience, lower skill, lower salary, or you could go three days a week for somebody more experienced, more expensive. Net, net, you're paying the same. Do you really need five days a week, can the job be done in two or three or four days? And so Romany's had been at La Fosse, former client of ours, and had worked as a headhunter and realized that there was a, originally a plan was, was how do I create a platform to help women who don't want to work full time, get access to great jobs. Very quickly, she realized that this wasn't a gender issue, that this was more of a matching skills skills to jobs and helping people facilitate a portfolio career and the whole business has exploded as a result of the pandemic and in fact today I'm chatting to her and she's in Portugal so they built the company remote first and so we talk about the implications of remote first versus office culture versus hybrid we have a good conversation around that what what might that look like What's the best? What's the worst? What's the best of the worst? And we have a conversation about what it's like to be a digital nomad um, and where she's been and where she's worked from and, and 
what lessons she's learned along the way. So a fantastic conversation with a fantastic founder. Hi, everyone. My name is Romani Thomas. I'm the founder and chief executive of Juggle Jobs. We help professionals to work on a flexible basis, which in this post-pandemic world is becoming increasingly normal. Um, But essentially, we help companies to find these amazing experienced people who want to work on a self-employed basis, but also keep that long-term relationship with companies. So quite literally juggle jobs. Um, Originally, I was born in Sri Lanka, and that's where my ethnic heritage is. Um, And then I moved over to uh, the really grey, lovely England, which I do love with all my heart. Uh, And I was brought up in rural Staffordshire, and then moved down to London for university. And uh, here we are today. And, but today you're not in London. Today you're in... I'm not in London. So I'm, I'm, I'm gradually going east, you see. I <laughs> back, went west. Back, back to and Sri Lanka. Back. Exactly. It's the weather. Uh, no, in all seriousness, we, we uh, as a company, we decided to go sort of fully remote in the first lockdown, um, which, you know, we're a flexible working platform, so you'd hope that we'd have this down. Um, and we did, and it worked really well for us. And um, My other half and I don't have kids yet, so we decided, okay, how can we make this next year as positive experience as possible, given that we're in the middle of a pandemic? And we had the freedom to travel, um, so we decided to work from various countries, and we finally settled in Portugal. Where did you go first? Um, where the sun is actually shining. We went first to Sicily because that was the country that opened up the first. And it was absolutely amazing. But if we'd stayed, I would have got really fat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the food is so good. Okay. Um, you don't have so, to eat yeah. everything that's put on the table, you know. No, you do. You do if you're there. It's just so delicious. Uh, so that was not going to work out. And then, you know, just compounded that by going to France, which was somewhat like a planned holiday as well. And then we were like, no, we're just going to be sort of alcoholic, kind of pate full people if we just stay in this lifestyle. Um, and then Portugal was next, which is a bit more businessy. There's a great tech scene here now. Lots of our friends in kind of the venture tech world live here. Um, so you're able to have a bit of both like you do in London as well, the, the sort of amazing lifestyle, but catch up with some uh, some people in the business world too, which was uh, which is fantastic. And so whereabouts in Portugal are you? So we're about uh, 25 minutes from Lisbon in a place called Sintra, uh, which is kind of rolling hills, really, really beautiful sunshine, and about 10, 15 minutes from the uh, from the nearest beach. So it's uh, a really great move all around. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm like those, I'm like those uh, people who on the West Coast have moved to Miami. You know, they're all on Twitter and they're like, move to Miami. Yeah, that, that in, in, in Britain, it's uh, move from London to Portugal. Same time zone. Yeah, exactly. Quick flights back. Not too complicated. Exactly. Very good. Although you, ha- although you have to deal with tap air, which is, uh, which is no good. But other than that, it's great. <laughs> so uh, your platform, Juggle Jobs, when did you start that? So I started it back in 2017. Um, that's when we kind of built the initial, I guess, the initial offering and raised our initial round of capital. And then, you know, from there, it was a really amazing success story for 12 months. We were trying to prove out that professionals really would move away from a secure career to work flexibly. And um, we could attract lots of great women, which is kind of somewhat the premise of the platform. And that was all really, really super, super, super. So we raised a round of venture capital off the back of that in 2018. 
And then the whole point was, right, let's try and prove that success on the business side as well, because we're essentially like a two, two-sided marketplace. And uh, yeah, let's just say that did not go quite so smoothly. That was, that was not good. And sort of six months after taking that money, I was like, shit, um, okay, well, this is not going quite as well as I hoped. And there were, there were a bunch of different things at play there, you know, candidly, which is slightly embarrassing given that I'm a headhunter uh, by, by trade. That's kind of what I did as a background. I hadn't really got the team right. And so I really needed to evaluate and, and rethink that. And we hadn't, we hadn't properly defined what the problem was for businesses. We were sort of saying, yeah, here, we've got these great flexible people. And companies are like, oh, hang on a second, you're telling me to employ someone who's less committed to their work than all these full-time young guns who all they want to do is work and be ambitious. This doesn't sound very appealing at all. And even the most progressive companies didn't particularly like the concept. So we were like, okay, do, do we have like a major problem here? Because this is never going to have legs if um, if the companies don't buy, right? Um, so we were like... As you that. stare into and the abyss we, thinking, how long will the money last? I know, I know. Uh, so it sort of went back, back to basics, really, and uh, tried to really define what the problem was to, to companies. And, and the results were really surprising. Actually, they did really like the flexible angle. You know, they said we get better people for less. We get to choose experience over an experience. Uh, we get to pay for productive time rather than unproductive time, which is pretty common in a five-day-a-week job. Lots of experienced leaders know that. And it's what people want. Well, one of our, one of our clients, Etch, as they went into lockdown, they looked hard at their business model. And they have a core core team and then they have a load of contractors that they spin up when they win win work and the contractors are obviously more expensive but when they looked yeah. at it the profitability was was higher for the contractors because Absolutely. because you don't last long as a contractor if you're not an a player right um and so you know the contractors would turn up and deliver and they deliver always and on time and so they actually they're now in the process of switching their model so it's like how can we be a hundred percent contractor so what do contractors not get well they don't normally get a feeling of belonging so they're they're you know they're trying to re-enable uh, reimagine their business so it's like how do we get the best of both the commitment from you know the full-time employees and the um productivity from the contract what do, what do they do they were a digital agency and they're now becoming more of a sort of digital transformation consultancy. Interesting. Um, so the work almost yeah. keeps those people on their toes, I guess, because it's so interesting. Yes. So quite often what happens is, is some of their work comes through, through channels. So some of the larger consultancies might win a piece of digital transformation work and then get contract etched to do the delivery. So they might have to spin up a team of, you know, 25 people or what have you uh, very quickly for to deliver a project yeah it's, re it's really interesting what you just said about the um, you do not last if you're not an a player and that's that's so true right you just you have to be really good in this world if, you, if you're going to live that flexible self-employed life it's so true and and therefore and you know i and, and it's it, it's so uh, timely or serendipitously, but I was, you know, I was just talking to another client this morning and we were talking about their needs in marketing and, you know, they have a marketing manager at the moment 
you know, is that the right person for the next three years of their challenge? The challenge is probably more complicated now. Do they want to hire somebody five days a week? And so the conversation was, you know, wonder whether we could find somebody to be, you know, a marketing director three days a week instead of, you know, that, because then you'd get the experience and the cost at exactly the sweet spot for them. And then here we are talking about your platform that looks to deliver yeah, exactly I think, that. Yeah, I think what I heard there, Dominic, is uh, an intro to juggle jobs. Straight, 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 straight <laughs> totally, after this. Totally, totally. So anyway, go back, go back. So what was the, how did, how did you pivot? What are you doing now? Yeah, so it was lots of great feedback, but it was also lots of very valuable, constructive, I won't say negative because it was constructive feedback, which was, look, we we don't understand this new flexible world, right? You're telling us, uh, we, we get that the, these part-time people are going to be better for our business. We believe it. But if it's going to take more time and energy and admin, we're not going to do it. And at the moment, your platform just introduces us to these people. and We can hire them and that's it. So then how do we pay them? Are they employed? Are they self-employed? How do we contact them if we need to contact them on their days off? Lots of operational admin-based questions. So that's when we realized in the sort of, you know, the product market fit equation that we all talk about that we're all striving for at this stage of company, we didn't actually have a market problem as such. We had a product problem. So we we sort of went back and redesigned and redeveloped and rebuilt Juggle just much more thoughtfully from the ground up. But adding those components on like online contracts and thinking through the legal and operational framework, like payments, like invoicing, like management, and, and also giving professionals the community. So that's what we um, relaunched at the start of the pandemic. And initially, the traction was was pretty amazing. We did a soft launch and uh, we, we saw fantastic growth. And then obviously, uh, as businesses sort of regrouped, they wanted to keep hold of their permanent staff over their flexible staff. So we saw quite a dramatic dip. But I always felt very, even though the I guess the business landscape was pretty bleak for a lot of people in the talent space, including ourselves, I always felt very bullish that uh, the pandemic was going to be positive for Juggle because it moves the conversation forward so much. Like flexibility is now assumed. People just get that this is a good idea. And now the question is, are you going to be a contractor and self-employed or are you going to be a permanent person? But everybody to a certain extent is working flexibly. So that's made things so much better. It's put us right into the center of, of exactly what's going on. So, and, and since kind of the end of last year, we've seen fantastic growth as, as the recovery has started. And your your goal is you're you're pitching sort of higher up the food chain, sort of more senior roles, part time senior people. Because it's what's funny is I was talking to I mean pre pandemic I was speaking at a uh, a happy workplace conference in Ireland and I was chatting to one of the delegates there who ran or runs uh, an IT service business, and he said the best thing that ever happened to him was you know Google and Facebook and Apple opening up in Dublin. He said because they're their paternity pay is only, you know, is rubbish. And so he said, you know, you've got these amazingly talented women who go are working for, say, for Google, have a, you know, have a child. And then it's like Google sort of say, well, you know, you can come back to work five days a week, nine to five, no flexibility, sorry. And and he says his his offer is work one day, two day, three day, four day, five days a week, work from home three days a week, 
whatever, tell me what, tell me what the flexibility needs to look like for you. Cause I'd love to have you as a project manager in our business. And so that was all pre pandemic. And his, his head office had gone from like 150 people down to 50 and loads of people were now working, uh, working remotely and re- working part time. And he said it was, that was just being, having a mindset shift that had allowed him to completely transform the quality of his workforce. Well, he quite literally punched above his weight, yeah. Yeah, totally. So, like, in the past, those people would never have come to work for him. And he he said, look, these people would never have wanted to come and work for me, but it's only because I can now offer them something that at their point in in life, you know, this, this works for them. Yeah, no, exactly that. We, we're there to help, you know, people like your friend to punch above their weight in terms of the talent that they hire. And, and as we all know, people are so central to your business. So the better people that you hire, the more successful your company is going to be. Like, I'm very much at heart a small to medium-sized business girl. Um, like, I get that these companies want to become big enterprises, but, you know, I love helping small companies do amazing things and and to go back to your original question we're we're very much about the kind of mid to senior level talent because that's that was the area that just still feels very very undisrupted um you know if you look at almost every other segment of the talent space like hospitality drivers you know you name it that there's multiple platforms out there for those people even the kind of task-based work for knowledge-based workers upwork has got that largely sewn up but if you want to hire an experienced like person who's typically in your office, like an HQ type person, your your options really are to to trawl through your network or to go to a recruiter. And we know that the service and the offering there is 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 just substandard. And and not it's not necessarily even just substandard because it can be good. Pockets of it can be good, but it's just not efficient for the digital age. Everything's done on the telephone everything's like very archaic and it just feels like I can buy clothes online. I can buy, you know, I can do so many things. I can even now sign legal documents online. Why can't I hire a great person online as well? That should be able to happen. And where are you constrained? Do you think, is it supply side or demand side that you're seeing? Yeah. So typically up until this point, it's always been, um, it's always been demand. It's been the companies. And I think it still probably is that at the moment, although the growth on that side is pretty exponential now. So I, I suspect that's going to tip fairly soon. Also, as everybody warms up to flexible working, we are going to experience more constraint on the supply side because we've had an unfair advantage for three years of a- attracting these amazing professionals. Um, and I think we've built good loyalty there and we'll build a good community and, you know, good content. And the whole focus of this year is to build a product around those consumers, essentially a consumer product to help professionals thrive in their flexible environment. But, you know, a lot of other people are doing this as as well now. So we need to work extra hard to build that loyalty with them. Otherwise, we will become supply constrained as well. And what do you, do you have a, is there a role that you go, that's, you know, that's sort of our sweet spot role? And is there a, sweet spot candidate is do you are, are, are you mainly helping people you know find four days a week or five days a week with one cus- company or are they doing sort of two days a week for two different companies what what what, what where's it ended up on the platform so i tell you really a really interesting trend that we've noticed and i was pitching this like well before it 
happen to investors, like this whole juggle jobs concept is going to happen, these portfolio style careers. But then when I was asked the question, well, how many of your placed candidates are actually doing it? It's like, well, you know, 10%. It's going to grow, it's going to grow, it's going to grow. And then uh, during the pandemic, it's now over 60% of our placed candidates are genuinely juggling jobs. Um, So our sweet spot in answer to your question, I would say, is that kind of finance director position for an SME or startup. So people who are experienced, they know what they're doing, but they don't mind doing the day to day either. You know, they don't mind doing some of the management accounting bits. They don't mind managing the relationships with suppliers, the legal paperwork. They take everything off the CEO's hands that's related to kind of admin ops and finance. And they handle that too, but they also have the strategic head to to deal with a kind of fundraising or corporate finance or strategic modeling, whatever it is as well. Um, And yeah, so we tend to, like a typical placement that we see is like three days a week with a company. And then often that person will be juggling one other day with another company. And then they'll have that one sort of working day week, day free um, to spend more time with their family but they're getting compensated well, they're building long-term relationships, so they're super happy also. Do people then want to go full-time as the role you know, gets bigger, or do they typically then at that point step aside and the company replaces them with somebody yeah, full-time? Yeah, a bit of both. Um, yeah, we see it pretty frequently that um, you know, the, the, those successful placements will then, the, and often the pull is from the company, will want to take them onto a permanent position. And if there's a good business reason, particularly a lot of these growing startups that are going through various venture round of funding, there is a good reason to then get people as equity stakeholders into the into the company and to really be there because as they grow, then you need more management skills on the ground. Um, so sometimes it, um, it results in a, a, a replacement. Often the person will just decide to go permanent after kind of 9, 12, 12 months, and we're all really happy with that. And I mean, if I think about my own the sort of the, the businesses that I've scaled in the UK or just clients that are growing rapidly, I could see that sort of strategic CFO, but also rolling your sleeves up and doing, you know, would you rather have a finance manager or would you rather have strategic, strategic? And you do need that strategic input when you're doing fundraise or, I don't know, uh, R&D tax credits or, you know, whatever. There's There's some things where having some gray hair and some longevity and seniority help. HR, sort of strategic bits of HR can see that. Marketing, particularly around, you know, planning or even um, product development. You know, absolutely see how uh, having access to to more talented people on a part-time basis can really, really accelerate uh, the whole organization. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, so we cover three of those four areas, but product development is one that we're actively looking at as well. Initially sort of shied away from it because it felt that um, there's so many other platforms doing it. But then as we've looked deeper in the space, we realized no one's doing it particularly well. Normally people are tacking on product development to their engineering offering and, you know, actually what they specialize in is engineers and that's what they should specialize yes. in. Uh, well, and, and, and making sure that they're solving the right problem is so key. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, it's, a, it, and it's a different skill set and it's a different segment of, of candidate. It's more on a managerial <laughs> level. 
I was just thinking, but you'd wish you'd done that at the beginning. Really wish we'd more done of, that at more the beginning. Of, more of that, why is the, are we solving the right problem? Totally, bit. totally. <laughs> they, would, they, would have, they would have kicked our product into shape in no time as well. Uh-huh. And so what do, where do you think where do you think flexible working is going to go then? I mean you you might be at one extreme because here you are running your running your UK based startup from Portugal. Uh so you've you've gone all in. Any downsides to not having an office and not being together? Honestly no. I think if it's um but, but that's that's not a flippant comment back because we we've put a lot of thought into this as well from everything from the type of people that we hire and the interview questions that we ask like we really need to look for people who not that they're loners as such but they really thrive on their own company a bit um through to like budgeting that we're going to do more company retreats for example because i still think the in person contact is incredibly important but i just think it's the quality if you get two three four retreats a year maybe like one a quarter where you all go away to a space and work together, like do some deep work and have a lot of fun over a two, three night period, um, you know, having a few beers and, or whatever and doing some activities. The kind of strength of relationships that you deepen during that time, as opposed to going into the office, putting your headphones on day after day, I, I just, I, I think they're very different experiences. Um, so do you know what I mean? There is something really weird about going to an office and put your headphones on. It's funny because I... I, I hear people describe the office and, and the office that they describe is never an office that I've ever been in. I've always had a no headphones policy, right? Like if you want to put your headphones on, like that's a bit antisocial, I think, right? So you may as well be at home. And, you know, when people describe being in an awful office and it's loud and you can't get any, you could, there's no thinking. It's like, well, that's a badly designed office. And, you know, there's no, and there's no quiet space. So I can't pick my laptop up and go work somewhere or the team can't just go and pick up and work somewhere. And it's like, well, that's poor design, you know, but it doesn't have to be like that. I, you know, uh, and I remember, again, this is sort of, uh, a few years ago now, but I remember speaking to Paul Manuel, who was one of our uh, project managers, and I said, "Paul, we, you know, like nobody, we don't have people working from home. Like, no, it doesn't come up." And he said, "Well, it's just because people know that that it's more fun to be in the office than to be at home on their own. And maybe what we'd done is we'd hired people who didn't like their own company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd created a team where people came and, you know." hung out and and enjoyed enjoyed being at work with other people and so i think when you look at i look at that environment and i look at the team we the teams we've built way less or loads of downside relative to you know being fully remote and i think if you are fully remote you, you, you know because i think you said we hire different people and i think that's what happens that you take you take a group of people who enjoy coming to work with the team that they work with and you say right now you're at home and you've taken away one of the bits of the work that they enjoyed. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, this doesn't work for everyone. We're probably a slightly more experienced group of people. Like a lot of the social bonds that we created from our previous companies, like we've, we've got a lot of our friends and our family and our social connections already. You know, I think of my, my younger sister. She's in her early 20s and uh, she works for a recruitment company as well. And I think of... Uh, Lafosse, the company I used to work for previously, and we had such I, a I laugh. I know Lafosse. You know Lafosse, right? I know and Simon, yeah. 
I've done some work with them. Oh, brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah. And, and you, you, so you know the guys there, right? Yeah. It, it's a fun company. It's you definitely want to definitely want to go into the office every day because they are, and, and a lot of those people are my lifelong friends, right? But we're, I think we're now entering a different realm. Going back to your your initial question, I think in the short term, we will see quite a shift to this hybrid model. But actually, I have some reservations over that because I don't think it actually solves the problem. And I think hybrid is really an office-based environment. And wherever the leaders are spending the most time is actually ultimately where the most ambitious people will spend the most time. And ultimately, it becomes an office-based culture. And then you end up with more of the segregation that we had pre-pandemic because a lot of the women or the working parents, for example, who took that flexibility on good faith and they designed their lives around this hybrid environment suddenly find that they're in a a downside scenario because they're not able to spend as much face time in the office. So I think it can have some really negative consequences, the hybrid environment, even though it feels in the short term more comfortable and one of the so one of the massive upsides of a remote working environment is it does enable you to hire and manage a more diverse team. If you believe that diversity is important and that diverse teams are going to be the ones that win and solve the problems of the future, and I'd reference here Matthew Syed's book Rebel Ideas, it's just a fantastic sort of summary of of the thinking here. Then you want to optimize for that, and I think the companies that then optimize for that will ultimately win. So I, 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 don't, I don't think the hybrid thing is going to survive. I think it's going to be the push in the short term, like the next two, three, four, even five years. But I think, you know, we look at in the environments in 10 years, it will be office, heavily office-based environments or remote. Um, and I also think the other trend that we're, we saw even pre-pandemic is a move towards self-employment as well and flexible working. But I kind of would say that because I'm well, it's the um, Nick Marks, who runs a company called Friday Pulse, which is a tool to measure employee happiness as a way of driving productivity. We we ran a we ran a summit here last September, and and he shared some data uh, from female employees in Japan. And what they did is they they looked at all of the, the tasks that they did every day. Uh, you know, from work, commute, intimacy, whatever, and and they ranked them in uh, in order of how much happiness it gave them. Um, and second from bottom was work, and bottom was the commute. And so, so you know, if you say to somebody, you don't have to do the commute anymore, I think that makes everybody happier. But if we get back to the, because I think you're absolutely right. In the past, the person who was remote in a team that wasn't remote, was a second-class citizen. You know, I've, I've spent most of my career working for North American companies and being that second-class citizen. You know, I'm, I'm the only guy not in the conference room. I'm on the conference phone, and about three minutes in, people completely forget that I'm actually there. And so the whole thing is, is not designed about making it inclusive for me at all. And so then, you know, during lockdown, people have done, you know, one remote, all remote. And that's worked because most people are at home. But, you know, we get back to the office and, you know, five of the people in a team of six have done the commute and you haven't. 
Now, what are we going to do? Are the, are the five was not allowed to sit in the conference room and have this meeting together. Do we all have to go and sit on our laptops and sit in corners of the office so that we can accommodate the person who's decided not to commute? I don't know. I, I, I just think it doesn't matter what the rules are. Human behavior will kick in and, and, that, and that team will go, you know, it's great that you've decided not to come in. But frankly, that, make, that has a negative impact on, our, on, on us. And so, you know, you can sling your hook and get off our team. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, and that's the challenge with hybrid. You just identified it because culturally, humans, the, the behavior dictates the culture. And if hybrid is, it's not clear. Like, what does, it, what does it mean? And then what you find, I think what companies find is they put in, okay, we're just going to have these rules. That's it. Okay, then this scenario happens, right, then we need to put in this other rule. Then we need to put in this other rule. And then a year creeps by and they're like, okay, we're just in the office, right? And maybe Fridays work from home. And then they find that people aren't working on Fridays. So then, and the company's got bigger. So then it just becomes an office space. And, and so what we're saying to companies at the moment is like, think ahead now. Like the, this playbook that you're going to go through with hybrid is you can see the problems that are going to happen. And it's fine to be an office-based culture. It's totally fine. You can attract some amazing people. Think about what your strategic goals are and work backwards from, from, from there, right? We are a, a tech and product-focused company. So we're optimizing for a diverse, probably global team. So a remote first makes absolute sense for us. Do I think that makes sense for a recruitment company who relies on talent age 21 to 26? <laughs> Yeah, they want a party in London. Probably not. Well, so, and, and you know what? We've got we've got clients who'll be hiring, you know, a hundred SDRs this year, and and you know, the sales leaders in that organisation, you know, that will be a sales team that looks like Lafosse does or or did, you know, and that you know, you take people first job, second job out of university, you put them on the phone, you definitely want them in a room where 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 they can be. I was going to say supervised. I meant trained and mentored uh you know you've you've you said you know you're you've got more senior people you know who are happy to do task orientated it also depends on the task you know does it help if you've got a team of sales people together it helps to have those sales people together those sales people are you know like sports teams they train together they don't train on their own they don't just come together on a saturday and play you know they that they're doing it together all the time. There's a team, you know, that that being in the team drives a higher level of performance. Yeah, I think I think I mean in my experience with sales, I, I found that there are two, there are definitely two types of salespeople. You get the ones exactly what you just described, and then you get the ones that tend, in our world in, in recruitment tended to gravitate more towards exec search. I'd probably put myself in this bucket as well. And there are a handful of these people who are a bit more lone wolf. Um, sort of enjoy the camaraderie of a team occasionally, but actually kind of like doing their own thing. And, and we're, we're going through a, a BDR uh, hiring process for Juggle at the moment. And that's, that's the kind of salesperson that we're looking for because I'm like, well, I'm not going to be in a room with you. So we can give you the concept of the sale and we can give you the, the, the kind of tools that you need to do your job, but you are going to be the person who who ultimately sells this. And that unfortunately requires a certain type of personality and level of experience. They would have had to go through that three, four years of more traditional sales training in an office to get there, I think. Yes. 
and, and so, uh, yeah, and so, you know, it, it, I just think it's, I, I think, well, it's interesting that you and I both agree that hybrid is just, it's going to be really messy. I mean, the conversations I'm having with most of the clients that we work with at the moment, the CEOs is, what are you going to do when you come back? You know, what, what, are, you, what are you mandating and not mandating? Uh, you know, days in the office, not days in the office. But it's interesting that one of the CEOs is already back in the office and doing all his virtual meetings from his office in central London. And and the last time he did that, about a third of the, within a few weeks, a third of the people were in the office. Yeah, and, so and, interesting. And and one of one of the other clients that he said, he said, I can't get people to go to the office. I said, are you in the office? And he said, no. I said, well, there you there go. We go. That's why nobody's in the office. If you go to the office every day, five days a week, the place will end up being full. You don't need to. Ma- and, and, then, and, then, and then there are other clients who are doing a survey where they're saying to the team, would you like to come back? And that's not the question. The question is, do you want to do the commute again? That, that's the, the problem you're solving is, would you like to do the commute? And people say, if you're going to pay me to not come to the office, why would I come to the office? I mean, it, it's like, obviously, if you ask that question, people are going to say happy at home, unless, unless they're in a one bedroom flat with seven children, in which case it's like they've, all be, they've been working in the office all, all the way through just to get away, it's get an, away it's from the children. It's an interesting point, though, because I do wonder, um, I, and I, I feel like I sound like a broken record here, but there's, you know, there's remote working in a normal environment, right, where you get to spend time, where you probably do actually spend time with colleagues, um, and go out for drinks maybe once a month or, or even more frequently or whatever. But you would certainly be seeing your parents and your family and your friends and actually having a life and going to the gym and restaurants and so on and get to do your work at, at, at home or your place of your choosing. Then there is remote working in a pandemic where you do not have any of those so- social structures for months on end, plus this like not even low level, it's probably mid to high level anxiety about the world imploding and you know so many people dying and and being sick and I think they're two very different things so reacting to creating a uh, a working structure and a working culture when we're in the middle of a pandemic is almost quite dangerous you sort of have to remove oneself and think okay if this wasn't a pandemic what would how how would we work what are our strategic goals and and work backwards from there because otherwise we're just reacting to a almost a false situation yes I think you're right. Like, what are, what are we trying to do? And as you say, with Juggle, you've designed your business pre-pandemic. It, it worked during the pandemic, and it, and it doesn't change how you feel about it in the future. Whereas the people who had an office, some of them, when people sort of say, we're going to save money and not have an office anymore, you think, uh, but the culture that you had before was office-based. Like, and and you know, you, you designed it for that and then you take away the office. I just, I'm not convinced that they win. They might save some money in the short term, but I'm not convinced that that they have then optimized. No, no. And, and, and another thing um, is I don't think people are really working at home remotely responsibly with the, the support of their companies. And an example of this is I went to an osteo the other day, like one of the downsides of, of, of traveling is we have been working from dining room tables. We have been shipping our screens around to do all like funny things like that. But um, like working on basically substandard chairs, because I mean, you're not going to ship a chair, right, or buy a chair every single time you move. But actually, um, I went to the osteo as I'm aging and bones are starting to creak. And he said, 
yeah, I mean, like you're, I'm, I'm now starting to see the numbers rise drastically. And after 12 months of people being in these substandard situations, their backs, their legs, their necks are just in a terrible place at a very young age. So, I, you know, uh, it's a it's a boring but important point that I think companies do need to foot the bill for decent chairs, well, decent and, ergonomic. Well, yeah. and the thing is, if the job is remote, then that's, you know, in the UK, they they um, they they suspended the legislation that means that you have to make sure that all of the home office equipment meets all of the standards and the employer is responsible for that. But at some point, that'll come back in. Uh, still cheaper than putting them in an office, but it's certainly it's certainly a bill that people have to to foot. You know, proper chair, proper desk, monitor height, VDU assessment, all that stuff. Totally, and it's an investment, right? It's not a it's not a cost. It's that person needs to be working in 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 the right in the right environment. It's just super important for their health, and just seeing it as an extension of that. And so, what are you seeing uh, in terms of the you you taught you said that the the platform now you solve the problem around employment contracts and payment. Um, and, and are you, I think one of the big US tech firms said you couldn't be overseas for more than 14 days. I think it was Google because they were, they were worried about where the employer employee was and where they were paying them and the tax liability. You know, do you, do you care about that? You know? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the moment it's, it's less of a thing because people who are working, like the, the rules are, d- are definitely not that stringent. I, I, I'll have to, I have to look into that, but you can work up to a, you know, you can work for quite a long time abroad and not worry too much about this stuff. But even though it feels like I am in the minority at the moment, I don't think I will be for, a, you know, in fact, actually a lot of people are probably going to start doing this move to different locations, try different ways of working, particularly as like Wi-Fi and connectivity improves across the continent and in rural areas as well. It just becomes a real viable option to to do this. So um, that's going to be one of the next challenges that we look at is how do we help people to work from anywhere? At the moment, our product is very quite, it's UK and almost London centric and actually very much supports almost a hybrid way of working and if we're saying actually we're going to be working not only remotely but cross borders too, then that's something that the product needs to needs to address legally too. Yeah. Oh, any other trends that you're seeing as we as we start to come out of lockdown? Yeah, yeah a really interesting one that we've seen is um, is somewhat gender based. Uh, so typically in the past, the whole pull towards flexibility has been to do with necessity. Um, and is, has typically been women, um, often with children, not always, um, but often with children who are trying to balance home caring responsibilities with work. Post-pandemic, I, I keep saying post-pandemic, you know what I mean, because we're not out of it, but we're, we're yes. hopefully on the, the final Light at the now. end of the tunnel. Exactly, exactly. Better way to describe it. Um, we are now seeing a big increase in the number of men opting for, like specifically opting for part-time opportunities specifically asking for remote opportunities. Typically, what we saw is men using Juggle as another platform to find work. And actually, often their preference was full-time work because in many cases, they were still the primary breadwinner. And that that has really flipped where they're like, I want to spend more time with my children or I want to pursue more projects for myself. Working five days a week in an office is not where I'm going to find happiness. And, and that number's gone up from sort of 34% actively 
seeking part-time opportunities to, to, to almost 80% in just the course of a year. On your platform? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. So, so, so you, your platform's completely flipped from being female-dominated to... Um, yeah, no, that's, so that's that's the that's the so the that's the t- total number of men. So the eighty eighty four percent of men are now on the platform are now preferring to work part time oh, okay. and remote. Yeah, um, but 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 you're right in that. Initially, when I started the business, I always wanted to focus on women. Like, in fact, the strapline was flexible working for professional women. And then within three months, I scrapped that because I was like, actually, all I'm doing here is embedding gender stereotypes. If we make flexible working just about women, then what we're saying is man must go to office and work. Woman must look after child. And that I, it, it makes it easier from a branding perspective. Like that I'm just for mums. But actually, I don't think flexibility is a female issue. It's a human one. And then actually men need it equally. And if if not more so, they need more championing for it because it's harder for them to navigate it because it's less understood for men. Yes. You know, you might say, well, I don't know, the kids are on holiday for six weeks, right? I'm going to go and work from Spain for six weeks. We know the technology works. That's fine. That way, family gets to be in Spain for six weeks. I can still work. Don't even need to take time off. Yeah. Just work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's exciting. Yeah. Although today, the weather here in sunny Wiltshire is lovely. You guys seem to be having an amazing April and uh, Portugal is has rained, I think, eight days out of the 10 that we've been here. So, <laughs> like, Not right. so much. Be- I don't have so much beach envy now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Uh, okay, so flippant answer to this is I had no idea how much admin would be involved in being a founder. I feel like my life is admin and paperwork. When people are like, what are you functionally good at? Because as a CEO and founder, you kind of do everything, right? You just have to fill in all the gaps that um, aren't happening. I mean, we we should be doing all the strategic stuff as well, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, huge amount of it is admin. The more serious answer is it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. So the Stories that you read about in TechCrunch, uh, you know, this company sold in like three years and billions and blah, 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 blah. Actually, if you look under the hood of the proper companies, I would say even like the real venture back transformational ones, it takes a long time. It takes a long time. And it to, to, to really build something that matters, that's going to transform a market, that's going to create a category, that's going to change people's lives. It takes time and effort and thought, and that doesn't happen overnight. So stop wishing for it to happen overnight. The journey is is very much part of it. The discovery is very much part of it. So I think I wish I'd internalized that earlier, but I, th- I think I have now and accepted that this is a, a longer journey than I originally, uh, origi- originally thought it would be. <laughs> okay. And what what books have inspired you or have you picked up along the way that you think other people should read? Yeah, so the the main business book that I think is so amazing is What You Do Is Who You Are. And actually, I think we've talked about a lot of these concepts today. It's about company culture and it's by Ben Horowitz, one of the co-founders of Andreessen Horowitz. It's just amazing. It goes into so much detail about the real challenges that founders face when when 
building a company culture. And, you know, he, he makes it really clear that it's not about writing down your values. It's not even about writing down your behaviors. It's about what you live and breathe every day as an individual and then as a collective um, and gives so many anecdotes and examples. And he's very humble as well and talks about his own mistakes, which I just find so refreshing to read in a business book. Um, I saw he was, he, uh, Vern Harnish interviewed him at a Scaling Up Summit uh, a couple of years ago. And he said, fuck. And Vern Nelly had a heart attack on stage. And he said, oh, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I, I suffer from CEO Tourette's. <laughs> I, just thought, I just thought that was a fantastic way to describe your inability to not swear in public. That's so Brilliant. funny. That's so true. I think I've sworn about three times in this podcast. <laughs> and, I'm, and my mum's probably going to listen as well. It's horrifying. I, d- I still don't swear in front of them. Oh. Um, it's weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> the, um, the other book that I really I love is a book called No Shortcuts to the Top uh, by a guy called Ed Vistas, who is a professional mountaineer. And he climbed all of the, uh, I think it's eight, 8,000 meter peaks. So Everest um, and, and, and I can't remember all the rest of them off the top of my head. K2 um, and, 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 and. Yeah, and, 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 and all these ones that I just can't pronounce at all. And it's just an incredible story. It's really incredible because along the way, basically, unbelievably, almost all of his peers die because they take too many risks. They're underprepared. They go too fast. And he's often seen as this steady, eddy, little bit too conservative. Yeah, but I, I think, you know, going back to the earlier point around it's a marathon, not a sprint, I think Ed Beasters really embodies all of that and an incredibly successful, disciplined man um a book that every founder and ceo should read fantastic romany that's absolutely brilliant thank you very much indeed for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure having you on pleasure being here thanks dominic Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.